You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me on this episode is Will Miles from ReadAndReaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, we'll uh, get into our conversation that I've teased uh, with Gators quarterback commit, Carlos Del Rio. But uh, first and foremost, uh, we're recording um, on a Tuesday night. We'll splice the interview, all that stuff to, together. Uh, but you had a little bit of a you had a, you had a draft on Monday night. <laughs> yeah, I got roped into my uh, into being the head coach for my little for my son's little league team. So last night I was picking uh, other eight year olds to be on his team, and uh, you know it's funny once you get down to like the fifth or sixth pick, you're just trying to figure out all right which dad's going to actually help me out. That, that's really the criteria. <laughs> Doesn't matter how good the player is; it matters how uh, how much his dad's going to help out. So it was a good time. Um, I'm happy to be doing it this year. It'll be fun. Um, I, I love coaching and hanging out with him and doing that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, a little bit, <laughs> one more responsibility for the spring that, uh, that'll have to go away when the fall comes back. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, we were planning on doing the Carlos Del Rio interview together if we could, but, uh, I took care of that, uh, on Monday night. We'll piece it all together here, uh, with, uh, Will and I, and then, uh, you know, get the reaction from Carlos Del Rio, uh, the, uh, conversation I had with him. And then, uh, after that, Will and I will give our thoughts on a couple of recruiting experts, Barton Simmons from 24-7 and Tom Luganville uh, of ESPN tabbing uh, this most recent 2020 recruiting class as impactful in helping Florida make a 2020 college football playoff run. Uh, it was weird, Will, those guys released kind of the same thoughts, same article on the same day. Uh, there of kind of looking at what a recruiting class could mean for the Gators, or not just the Gators, but uh, overall. But we would, of course, just share uh, their thoughts on what they said about the Gators. But uh, we'll just kind of a look back at last weekend or kind of the last couple of days with you. I'm excited, man. I got the uh, I got a first daddy-daughter dance coming up this weekend. <laughs> well, life happens in the off season. You're not allowed to do that stuff once August comes <laughs> around. So it's uh... – yeah, man, that, that's great, right? I mean, we I did the did that stuff with my little girl when she was younger. Now she's eleven. She she still kind of likes me, but you know, in a couple <laughs> of years she's gonna hate me. So we're getting to that point in the in the uh, curve of her being at home, and you know, enjoy it while you can, man, because it goes really fast. Yeah, she's uh, already getting the uh, dance routine down. So uh, we'll see how successful I am uh, Saturday night. We'll, there will be an update next week. Well, Kaylee did post some video of you dancing. Either I don't know whether it was on Facebook or on Twitter, but your, your wife threw uh, pretty good there, buddy. But, oh, uh, you ought to post that so other people can see it. Uh, the Twitter world is not supposed to see that. We'll see if it eventually makes the rounds on Twitter. But yeah, last week I guess it was the anniversary of the Harlem Shake. Uh, that fad that went around 
heck, I don't six, five, six years ago, whatever. But, uh, you know, I guess memories on Facebook pop up and I had friends and Kaylee, my wife, shared all that stuff. So, yeah, it's it, uh, a lot of people who didn't know me back then got to uh, see uh, the funny little uh, joke that was the Harlem Shake back in the day. Well, this is one of the worries of doing a live show is, is that the internet never forgets. So um, I'm sure it's going to pop up somewhere, Dave, and I'm, I'm sure. sure that uh, Chris Zen will have some fun with it too. Yeah. Everybody's running to Facebook right now. So <laughs> all right, we'll get into uh, the episode here, but before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the past Gators Breakdown episodes there as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Um, if you missed previous episodes, catch them out there or on all the pl- podcast platforms out there, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff uh, out there, Stitcher as well. Also, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And a reminder, coming up, uh, come see me for a speaking engagement for the Fighting Gators Touchdown Club in Gainesville on April 23rd, the week after the Gators spring game. Be plenty to discuss. Um, the, rest of, the rest of the schedule coming up this spring consists of Gator basketball writer Chris Harry on February 27th, so a couple, couple more days before that. March 26th will be Coach Savage and head coach Dan Mullen on May 28th. So without further ado, let's get this episode started with a short conversation with Gators quarterback commit Carlos Del Rio. And we're joined now by Carlos Del Rio, four-star quarterback commit for the Gators from Loganville, Georgia, and Grayson High School. Carlos, thanks for hopping on Gators Breakdown. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, let's go back a little bit. And it was last July, Friday Night Lights Camp you uh, on in Gainesville, uh, taking part in the camp. And commit to the Gators uh, that weekend. So what made you commit to Florida? And then uh, what does that commitment mean to you today? Uh, I committed to Florida because of the connection that I had with the coaches. Um, also, I got family down in Florida. Um, every time I took a visit to Florida, it was just a good community. I liked the areas around Florida. And I also liked the school, the education, the players, that the um, coaches, and how the players and coaches had a connection with each other. And the commitment means to me that, like, basically I'm all in for the Gators. Like, once I get there, I'm ready to work. What was it about uh, Dan Mullen? Was it his history with quarterbacks? Is it what he proved at Florida in year one? What was it about Dan Mullen that that sold you and and committing to him? Uh, During the camp, Dan Mullen, he, he came up to the quarterbacks a lot to help out on his own, instead of just letting the quarterback coach do it by himself, he actually got hands-on during the camp, um, showing that he actually knows progressions, he actually knows footworks and mechanics, and that 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 was a big thing to me to make me commit. I think one big thing that has Gator fans excited for you, and we've seen it, you know, the last month or so, but. Uh, that's kind of when it's been ramped up, but you've been doing it the whole time since you've been committed to Florida. But uh, the Gator Nation is kind of uh, happy to see you out there helping recruit your uh, future te- teammates. Uh, so what's uh, what goes behind that? How are the conversations like? Um, just seeing them at camps or seeing them at schools or um, in person. Like I just get to know them at first. Then during the camp, I'll see what type of player they are, if they're emotional, if they're passionate about the game. Um, see if they're aggressive with with the game, 
And once I see it, if I if I feel like they can contribute to the team, then you know I just walk up to them, ask them if they got any offers. If if Florida's been looking at them, if they tell me that Florida's been looking at them, I just I just ask them like, "What you waiting on? Like, why you ain't committed yet?" <laughs> then they'll tell me like they they haven't really been down there or or they just feel like the coach is not messing with them as much as they messing with the school. And I tell them like, trust me, they, they messing with you. Cause with me, I felt the same way, but every time I go up there, it's just a personal connection. So I tell them, you just got to go up there and keep going. Every time you go up, the coaches are look at you, not only as a football player, but as a child of their own. And and with that connection with the coaches and the player, I feel, I feel like, like you need to come. And after that conversation, they'll they'll think up on it, you know, go home, probably watch some highlights of Florida, look up some stats or whatever, and then they'll text me on on Instagram, Twitter, my my phone. They be like they think they think they want to commit or they think they want to take a visit. And once they take the visit, that's when they'll commit. How was it watching Florida this past season? I don't know how much you watched of Florida before Dan Mullen or uh, in Dan Mullen's first season, but <laughs> you committed before his second season as head coach. So how much did you pay attention to what was you know Florida was doing on the field? And uh, you know, and how did it feel watching the Gators actual as an actual commit? Uh, it was a great experience watching Coach Mullen coming there as his second season, just changing the program. You know, just watching it progress and uh, advance, and watching watching the games as a commit makes me feel like it, it feels great when you see your team just going up, winning games, or even if they lose, they lose with a hundred percent effort. They lose with everybody behind them, you know, having their back. Or they'll they, like they'll lose not even by that much. It'll just be it'll just be they got outplayed one one play. But the whole game they give a hundred percent effort and they're always a team. Like they're never turning on each other. They always together. And and, and that's something that's big for me watching the Gators. Uh, let's get uh, you know personal with you. Everything you have coming up, uh, you let me know when I reached out to you last week. Uh, you got the Elite Eleven coming up, so uh, what are you looking forward to that event? Uh, I'm looking forward to going to that camp, showing out, um, showing them what Florida Gators have coming. Uh, looking forward to going there and winning it all, and just showcasing my skills and having everybody want to watch the Gators, having everybody. Uh, expecting me to come in and, you know, give it my best and give give the Gators a national championship. All right. And uh, kind of different heading to your uh, senior season uh, coming up this year and uh, transferring schools. What went behind uh, that decision to uh, transfer to Grayson? Uh, just connections that I had with the school. Um, my dad, you know, he got, he got a job over in Grayson also. So just um, talking to other coaches at the school, they – they really wanted me and felt like I had a better opportunity at the school. So, you know, I just made a business decision. All right. Would there be like a different uh, – would you be playing in a different system, similar offense that you were playing in before? Uh, it, uh, what's it going to look like coming up for your senior season? Uh, it's a similar uh, offense, just a little bit more using my arm talent this year, you know, more passing, less running, um, just showcasing every aspect of my skills. And talking about those skills, uh, where do you want to see yourself improve your senior season? 
uh, probably, probably just stand in the pocket. Not, not, not even stand in the pocket. You know, like pocket movement, keep my eyes downfield, um, catching receivers in small holes and making that that throw in small windows instead of just uh, going through the progression, not seeing there, and then just getting yards that I could get. I'd rather just go through the progression, see if not there, and then look backside or look for a check down and then get yards from my receivers, get my receivers some some yards, some stats, get my running back some yards and some stats. Was there anything in particular when you watched Florida last year and, of course, Felipe Franks at the beginning of the year and then, and then Kyle Trask takes over, uh, anything that you noticed from, from those two guys uh, that you want to incorporate in your game or, or, or knowing that you're going to see when you're the quarterback at Florida? Um, probably the leadership that they had, um, taking control of the team, taking control of the offense, um, taking control of the play, just keeping their composure during the play. Um, under pressure, they just stay uh, calm and collected in the in the pocket and just make throws before taking a big hit, you know, getting right up and, and having a, a smile on their face as they completed the throw after a big hit. Um, let's get to know you a little bit, Carlos. What's uh what's your uh, hobbies outside of uh, outside of football? We got video games, uh, any other sports? So uh, what's uh what's uh, what's the life of Carlos Del Rio like? Uh, hobbies outside of football. Um, I, I I used to like riding horses, but really outside of yes, sir. Yeah. So I I do that occasionally. Um, I just like to have fun. You know, have fun days where if I have an off day, I just go to the mall. Yeah, right, Carlos, I guess to know you a, a bit more. What's your favorite subjects in school? Probably math. What is it about math that 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 piques your interest? Uh, sometimes it's just easy to me. Like <laughs> the something about me, like math, like the hard stuff is easy, but the easy stuff is hard to me. And hard, like math, is mostly hard stuff, so it'll come easy to me sometimes. I hear you. I hear you. All right, Carlos, man, I can't thank you enough for joining us here on Gators Breakdown. If there's a message out there to Gator Nation that you could share, uh, uh, do, do you have one? Uh, most definitely. Um, I just want to thank the Gator Nation for, you know, supporting me 100%, um, wanting me to be a Gator. Um, I just want to let all the Gator fans know that once I get there, we will be getting a national championship and I will be giving a hundred percent each season, each practice and every workout. All right. That's Carlos Del Rio, 2021 commit for the Gators. Thanks Carlos. Thank you. Well, man, uh, good conversation there. We call this Del Rio short conversation, but uh, well, you can tell Del Rio embraces being a, a, a Gator commit. Uh, and it's always beneficial to get that quarterback early uh, in a class to help recruit. We know the importance of that position on the field, and I, I think that translates to recruiting other players as well. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, it, it's really the first time Mullins had a quarterback in the fold this early in the in the process. I mean, you had Emory Jones' first year, but obviously that's the transition class. And then you had Jalen Jones, who was reasonably early, but wasn't as early as this. And then um, last year, Anthony Richardson decommitted de at one point and then recommitted, and you had sort of the Carson Beck stuff going on with, with him and, you know, deciding between Florida and Georgia. 
Um, so yeah, you got Del Rio coming in now, and and I think it's interesting. I, I was looking back at his his overall ranking. He's ranked two hundredth overall by twenty four seven composite, and that's right around where Anthony Richardson won. He was he was two hundred one at the end of this cycle. But if you look back at where he was back in August of twenty eighteen, he was four hundred and twenty first. So I you know the quarterbacks tend to swing around quite a bit. So I don't know that I put a whole lot of stock in the. Um, in the overall ranking, that's probably going to change quite a bit. But certainly, having the quarterback in the fold, having a guy with a big arm back there, is a uh, is a big deal for Mullen because that that's really the goal: is one quarterback recruit every cycle, keep that sort of line going, and then when you do have attrition like Jalen Jones leaving, or if you have a guy who's not happy who decides to transfer, you've got plenty of people in the fold to pick up the slack. And we'll also, if you look at the the history of recruiting the quarterback position since Mullen's been at Florida, you could probably say the true dual threat in um, Emory Jones, Jalen Jones, Anthony Richardson uh, there. But this one, you know, maybe more of a – maybe more of a pro style. Uh, and he mentioned in the conversation of wanting to be able to, this coming up senior season, stay in the pocket some more, use his arm talent some more. That's part of the reason he transfers to another school. Um, this is, you know, I won't necessarily – you know, pro style dual threat, that's kind of labels now that – almost are kind of outdated. Uh, you're starting to see a lot more in the, also in the NFL of quarterbacks that need to be able to move, at least move in the pocket uh, a good bit, make something happen if a play uh, breaks down. But um, what we know if for the sake of college football, dual threat you know, in a quarterback that can make something happen with his legs, a run package, uh, design, an offense design around the quarterback's legs to make you know, pick up short yardage plays, third, third, third and goal, third and short, fourth and goal, fourth and short. Not so sure Carlos Steria is in that, uh, in that label there. Probably be more of a, you know, for lack of a better term, pro style sit-in-the-pocket sit uh, quarterback that can throw and only really run needs to run when he has to. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the debate this offseason between Trask and, and Emory Jones has been sort of based in the fact that Emory Jones is perceived as a better fit for Mullen's offense. But I think one of the hallmarks of Mullen's offense is, is he's able to take advantage of guys with complex and different skill sets so long as they're able to do certain things in his offense well. And you know, 24-7, it's interesting. They have the skills for Del Rio listed at delivery, arm strength, and size at 8 intangibles pocket presence at seven and then outside the pocket mobility and accuracy at six and you really i mean i guess it sort of depends on when you look if you look two years ago as a sophomore he was only completing about 59 percent of his passes this year he completed 64 percent as a senior but he only had 13.3 yards per completion which does indicate that he was dumping it off quite a bit so that sort of goes to what he was talking about in terms of being able to stay in the pocket a little bit longer go downfield use his big arm um you know, the other thing is is that Tim Tebow, though he was a dual threat and though he was a really effective runner, was not somebody who was running a four four forty. He he had a different style of running, but that style worked within what Dan Mullen wanted him to do. And I think I think for people who didn't necessarily know a whole lot about Tebow when he burst onto the scene in two thousand six the size that he ran with essentially being a fullback in that offense was, was a surprise to people. And so I think Mullen gets creative. He finds ways to use guys in way and puts them in situations to succeed. And I suspect he's going to do that with Del Rio as well. But I, I think it's, I think it's a misnomer to say that someone is a perfect fit for Mullen's offense. I yeah. think what he, what he really wants to make sure of is that he's leaving the, he's putting the defense in a situation where, the defense is at a disadvantage. And whether you do that with RPOs or whether you do that with read options or whether you do that with a quarterback who reads the defense and can really stretch it and also um, 
you know, maybe use running backs to get out into the flats. Um, Mullen's going to find a way to do that, regardless of who he's got as the personnel. He just needs somebody who can execute his offense, get the ball in the right place, and and the program will be successful. All right. So, yeah, special thanks uh, to Carlos Del Rio for jumping here on Gators Breakdown for this short conversation. I'm really glad we could get him on here. Uh, really looking forward to um, him putting uh, the finishing touches uh, on this class uh, from a player's perspective and helping get all these recruits in. You can see him out there, follow him on Twitter. There's even a um, competition between him and other players out there, it seems like, the, who can recruit the better players for the 2021 class. So something to watch out there uh, with Gators quarterback commit, Carlos Del Rio. So, well, it's something that caught my eye. It was late last week, and I sent this to you. Uh, figured it'd be a, a pretty good conversation piece here. Just uh, like I said, earlier in the episode kind of surprised that two articles with almost the kind of same style of topic and um, looking back at the 2020 class and how impactful they can be uh, even early impacts as well. So ESPN and 24 seven released articles. Uh, we'll start with ESPN first and Tom Luganbill. Uh, and there was article was tired who improved their 2020 college football playoff chances through recruiting. Uh, so the articles uh, went on to say college football's 2020 recruiting classes have been signed with more and more prospects enrolling early in school. That translates to more first-year players providing an immediate impact, which in turn gives teams the opportunity to ascend up the rankings ahead of schedule. How will this recruiting cycle affect the 2020 college football playoff? For a handful of teams that didn't reach the playoff last season, the 2020 additions could translate in a major way. So here's what they had to say and Tom Luganville had to say uh, about Florida, 21 wins in two seasons, the return of a number of key players next season, including quarterback Kyle Trask, and two straight top 10 recruiting classes have Dan Muller and Florida positioned to make a playoff push. The position hit the most by graduations and departures as wide receiver. The Gators signed two ESPN 300 wideouts who are expected to make an instant impact. Xavier Henderson, the younger brother of former Gators corner C.J. Henderson, Brings a six foot three size and elite athletic ability for his size, and six foot four Jaquavion Frazier is a physical presence, presence who plays through contact and wins in traffic. Two early enrollees on the offensive line who could factor in quickly are tackle Isaiah Walker and guard Joshua Braun. Florida holding an impressive class of defensive linemen led by instant impactor Von Dexter, uh, Antoine Powell, Princely Human Nealon. Right, I think I got it right that time, Will. And Johnny Brown could uh, provide valuable snaps. Powell is already on campus and is the best edge rusher of the group. While there is a lot of talent in the secondary in Gainesville, ESPN 300 Jahiri Rogers is already on campus and is elite when changing direction and and breaking on the ball. And we'll go ahead and go to the 24-7 part of this as well. Barton Simmons and also uh, an article tile projecting college football's most impactful signing classes. Uh, he says, coaches like to remind us every year their signing, signing day press conferences that judgment shouldn't be passed on those signing classes until three or four years down the road. That may be true, but we are also living in an era of instant impact, an era that has seen true freshmen regularly contribute in the biggest moments of college football's biggest games. Uh, he says, we've already passed judgment on the class of 2020 in our 24-7 sports composite team rankings. But forget the three or four year analysis. This list is about which classes are poised to make the biggest and quickest impact. So uh, he says, though transfers do not funnel into the recruiting rankings, they are weighed here. Uh, but you know, he didn't 
factor that into Florida as we don't know the eligibility uh, of those guys. But Barton goes on to say about Florida will of the nearly 3,000 years of 3,000 yards of receiving yards that Florida's wide receivers accounted for last fall, 65% of it's gone. So that's why he says uh, landing top 100 receiver Xavier Henderson is so important. Um, and Florida also recruited well at the line of scrimmage, and five-star Jervon Dexter is just too talented uh, not to make a significant impact on the defensive front. Even as summer enrollees, four-stars Johnny Brown, Princely Union, Milan, Jalen Lee are all threats to, uh, to impact as well. On the offensive line, keep an eye on Joshua Braun, Isaiah Walker in spring practice. Are they as upgrades in terms of talent and what Florida has been able um, or working with up front? Speaking of upgrades, Derek Wingo's athleticism should get him on the field at linebacker despite his arrival coming in the summer. So, Will, we've discussed this class at length, of course, but both of these articles come out the same day and pretty much have the same thoughts. They pick up on what we found as important that that's important as well not that the gators got really good prospects but they got those prospects in the area of need and difference making areas mainly in the trenches yeah i mean i, I think every, <clears throat> both articles mention wide receiver but that's not really the area that i'm that i'm the most uh, concerned about i mean the area i'm really concerned about is the defense because you figure that the <laughs> when, when you look at the jim McElwain era you know, the offense was putrid all three years, but the reason that the team went four and seven in 2017 was because the defense took a significant step back. And um, obviously Mullen's been able to do a really good job with the offense and make it sort of a top 25, top 30 offense, but hasn't really taken that step up to make it a top 10 offense. At the same time, the defense has sort of been in the you know, 25 to 35 range, depending upon which stat you're actually using. But you're losing a lot of experience when you talk about Grenard, you talk about Jabari Zuniga, you talk about Adam Schuler, David Reese, CJ Henderson. It's a lot of guys to replace, particularly up front. And that's where the guys like Gervon Dexter, Lamar Goods, um, you know, Antoine Powell, those sorts of guys, and and Brenton Cox are going to be the guys who have to step up and, and fill those roles. And and if you were to ask me which unit is going to take a step back or which unit isn't going to improve as much in 2020 over 2019, I'd, I'd say it's probably the defense. I think the offense is going to continue to hum, continue to get better with Trask at, uh, with Trask at quarterback. You figure the offensive line is going to be better regardless because I'm not sure it can be much worse, And then, which means the running game is going to pick up. If the running game picks up the offense is going to be better on the defensive side of the ball you've lost an awful lot of an awful lot of talent there and you got to replace it up front now certainly guys like tj slayton and zach zach carter and some of those guys started to step up towards the end of the year and and that's maybe where you expect to see um you know maybe maybe the next step step taken forward but as far as this class is concerned i'm much more um, I think Florida needs to get more from this class on the defensive side of the ball, particularly up front, than maybe on the offensive side of the ball um, at wide receiver or, or even offensive line. Yeah, and I like that Tom Luganville brought up Jahiri Rogers as a potential contributor um, for a college football playoff push. You know, because while Florida has had these top-notch two you know cornerbacks the last couple of years, and Marco Wilson and, and C.J. Henderson, they've had to deal with some injuries. They've had to, had issues where players had to play in other positions or out of position. And you know, Rogers, you know, just the way Luke and Bill describes him, could come in and, and provide stability uh, to the unit as, as true freshmen. Or you know, as a true freshman, much like Kyrie Elam uh, did last season. Now, I don't think he'll, and I think this goes a lot for these guys on defense. 
they don't have to be a contributor if everything goes right, but how often does that really happen? You know, you're going to, you're going to have to deal with injuries. You're going to have to deal with stuff like that adversity uh, throughout the season. So um, if everything goes right, injury wise in the defensive backfield, uh, Rogers, you know, you can kind of work him in. And that's kind of the way I see these guys in the trenches too. You can work him in. You don't have to force him out there. Cause I think that's where you get in trouble sometimes with true freshmen. You know, these guys can be impacts, but I don't think you want to have to force them out there before they're ready. And we know Mullen's a big proponent of that, especially at the quarterback position and on offense. But you got to think so, especially, too, in the trenches in the SEC. You don't want these true friends. You don't want to have to rely uh, on Jervon Dexter or Goods or Human Mila, no matter if they're a five-star prospect or a highly rated four-star prospect. You don't want to have to come in relying on those guys, especially what you have coming back in, in T.J. Slayton and hopefully the return of Elijah Conliffe uh, as well. And as you mentioned, Carter and uh, Moon coming back. You, you, know, you hope those guys are guys that lead the way and lead the charge, and these guys are more supportive pieces, kind of like Kyrie was last year. You know, he didn't get the – the full bore starting 12 games a year like Marco Wilson and CJ Henderson had to do when they come in, he was able to work in and you saw all that progress kind of lead up to a great orange bowl. I think that, you know, speaking of, especially like Jahiri Rogers from what Todd Mugenbill brought up, that's kind of what I'm looking for. in a lot of these freshmen is, is come in and make an impact, but not having to make an impact. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the reality is, is in college football today, got, true freshmen have to come in and they have to contribute. I mean, Florida has 10 early enrollees, have some guy who are, guys who are mid-year enrollees as well. So they've got a lot of guys who will have had significant amounts of time with Nick Savage and will have had significant amounts of time in the meeting rooms to learn the offense, the defense and contribute. And I think the reality is, is that you need guys from the freshman class to step in and, and not just necessarily on offense or defense, but one of the things that we've talked about extensively is, you know, the idea that Freddie Swain never muffed a punt. Or you look back at the twenty, the 2006 team that won the national championship, and one of the moments that kind of gets forgotten is the muff punt that was recovered against Arkansas mm-hmm. by Juan de Pierre-Louis, right? And and mm-hmm. that's a guy who contributed to both the 06 and 08 championship teams. It's not somebody we necessarily look at and say, oh, that's somebody from that team that Florida couldn't have won without him. But really, the reality is Florida couldn't have won without him I mean, because mm-hmm. he made key plays in both seasons that helped contribute to the national championship. So... Um, you know, it's not necessarily that these guys are are coming straight out of the shoot going to be stars. Now, you'd love if somebody like Dexter or somebody like Wingo or somebody like Rogers is a star and, and just sort of locks down his position. You go, all right, we got that one taken care of for the next three years. Don't have to worry about it. But even if they just can come out and contribute on special teams and sort of allow guys like Trevon Grimes to not have to run down on punts yeah. and kickoffs, to allow guys like Kyrie Elam to not have to go out there and, and, and participate on those sorts of things, just the depth and the quality of the players that Mullins brought in in this class, I think is going to improve things just because of the ability to focus on special teams. It's it's been a really long time since we've since we've seen a bunch of block punts or block field goals from from Florida teams. I think as Mullins starts to build up the talent base of the team, starts to get these guys competing on special teams exclusively, we may start to see that come back a little bit too. Yeah, I know it gets a, a lot of heat too from uh, you know all, all the. <laughs> the, the the coaching staff and the special teams coordinator and all that. Yeah, I mean, you know, Florida's got good field goal kickers. They're not dropping punts. They're not fumbling kickoffs and all that. So, I mean, uh, I get it. And, 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 you know, Knox getting the hit on recruiting and all that stuff. But the special team not, may not be – and look, the punt game has been awesome as well uh, the, the last couple of years. So, 
I understand the Yanks there uh, sometimes, but uh, special teams are, have been pretty good there. So, as you said, maybe we will see some of these true freshmen uh, making impacts there. So, one more aspect, Will, of uh, these articles, and both mentioning that, you know, what Florida's losing at wide receiver. And, of course, that, that can't be uh, overstated enough. We know that. Uh, and then these true freshmen coming in uh, that can contribute. And, yes, the Gators lose a lot there, but it's also – there's also a bit coming back uh, with Grimes, Tony, Copeland, Pitts, uh, all those guys proven in, in, in some form or fashion. Uh, there, we'd like to see more, of course, from Tony and Copeland um, coming up. Tony as more of a just becoming more of a receiver, and, and Copeland just kind of maybe breaking through and, and being that receiver we expected him uh, to be when he was recruited. Now he gets that chance to, to, to show that. You know, we, we, no, no shame in not getting more catches with you have those guys that are contributing this week in the NFL Combine uh, out there, and you can't get in over those guys. You know that's uh, uh, those guys are good, and there's a reason they're in Indianapolis at the Combine. So look, you know, then you know, we get to the wide receivers that redshirted last season, Will and Deontay March, Demarcus West, and Trent Riddlemore. Um, the, the staff's high on that group, but you know, none of that group was ranked as high as the incoming freshman Xavier Henderson and Duquavion Frazier. So uh, I think there's the question uh, there is. How fast can Henderson and Frazier's come in and, and make a presence? They, they won't be here until the summer. We'll have to get adjusted to college life and college football. But, Will, you know, it, I look at it this way for these guys, especially on offense, if these guys are making an impact this season. You know, I, I don't think it would be at a disservice uh, of the other wide receivers, but it would be because, you know, these guys are just that good. You know, the best thing will be for these players to, ha to have some kind of impact because I think that means Florida, you know, they're – Florida be really deep at receiver if these guys also come in and perform much like we've seen the last couple of years and, and, and not having you know, the same guys make all the plays. If these, if Frazier's and Henderson can come in and are, are contributors and you're looking at depth at Florida receiver core that you've seen the last couple of years uh, with Dan Muller and spreading the ball around, you know, I don't know if, if those guys don't, necessarily live up to the billing entry freshman do you see you know grimes tony copeland pitts being the, the main targets all season long uh you know, mainly spreading out the catches with, with those four guys i think it'd be interesting to, to to look at but with these guys coming in late uh i, I do think wide receiver is that position a, a true freshman could come in and really make an impact and i know everybody's heard the saying a lot. The further you are away from the ball, the easier it is to come and play. So yeah, there is a lot of uh, truth to that. But uh, I do think the best thing is, you know, these guys come in and contribute and just create, as we just really kind of said, just create more depth and really at this receiver position is kind of, it would just be a rehash of the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that you look at is, and, and I think this is something that I've emphasized when I've talked about quarterbacks in the past is do they find guys who are open? And one of the things that really was a change when Felipe Franks went out last year with an injury is the ball started getting spread around a lot more. So it's not necessarily that Franks was doing a bad job. It's just that he and Trask have different skills. And one of the things that Trask does better than Franks does is read the defense off, you know, pre-snap and figure out where to go with the ball. So what that means, if, you, if you've got someone who's more physically gifted and runs the right route, Trask should be able to get him the ball and get him the ball in space. And when you look at how Florida's recruited, I mean, Whittemore's 6'3", 190. You look at Weston, 6'3", 205. Um, Henderson is 6'3 and a half, 180. Jaquavian Frazier, 6'3 and a half, 194. 
And then the really on, the only guy who's relatively small is Deontay Marks, who's 5'11", 178. And so he's maybe the guy, a guy that you might see in the slot, you mm-hmm. know, sort of the backup to Tony. And then you got Tony. He's a small guy. But then the other guys, you know, um, Trevon Grimes is not small. Jacob Copeland is not small. So I think it's really going to come down to who can block. I mean, that's one of the things in, in Mullen's offense is the wide receivers get playing time when they block. It's one of the reasons perhaps why Tony hasn't been out on the field as much as I would have liked or other people would have liked is that if you're not effective blocking, then you're not going to get the playing time. And the wide receiver group last year was an unbelievable set of blocking wide receivers. Swain, Hammond, Grimes, Cleveland, those guys were all really, really good at blocking on the outside. I think that's where these guys are going to have to show their differentiation because Florida is starting to get the level of skill on the field where one block springs a guy and he can take it to the house. And we saw that a couple of times last year with LaMichael Pirine, but that wasn't something we saw consistently from a couple of different players. And, you know, if they can get a guy like Lorenzo Lingard on the field, um, you know, Damian Pierce has shown an ability to take it, take it to the house. And then Copeland has the skills to be able to do that. So, um, you know, I think the blocking is going to be something that these guys are going to earn their way onto the field. And that's maybe where the differentiator comes from the guys who came in in the 2019 class over the 2020 class. Are they quite as talented Maybe not, but they've got the size that Mullen likes. And again, if they if they're if, if they're tenacious blockers, I think they're going to find their way onto the field, unless the freshmen come in and just dazzle with their skill set. And hey, if that's if that's the problem, that's a good problem to have. Well, one more part of this, and I don't really want to gloss over, but this is one more. Uh, this is Tom Luganbill uh, from ESPN, you know, in the way they titled their article and the way the article was written and and, and the information in the article, you know, and. One more that's uh, calling for Florida to make a college football playoff push, and you're know, relating this freshman class uh, and maybe you know helping uh, along that way. So um, we're starting to see a whole lot of, uh, I guess, list never really stop, but <laughs> starting to see out there, you know, Kyle Trash maybe being the number one ranked quarterback in the SEC. Uh, another article here, as I say, with Luganville caught Florida in the, in the college football playoff. Uh, the Saturday Saturday down south recently released an article uh, looking because the uh, dates for SEC media days were released last week, and they went ahead and put their uh, – there's a lot of way too early stuff out there, so now there's a way too early uh, picking of the SEC order of finish <laughs> out there. Uh, and Saturday down south, Conor O'Gara is picking Florida uh, to win the SEC East. So, well, I mean, even with this – Top 10 2020 recruiting class, uh, just another um, another you know, rung in the ladder of maybe Florida making a potential college football playoff push. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you, you can understand why people would pick them. They were 23rd in yards per pass last year on offense, but only 80th in yards per rush. And so if the offensive line can improve and just make the offensive, just make the running game decent as opposed to poor, then the offense is going to jump in pretty close to the top 10. And then the defense last year was 22nd, I believe in yards per yards per play allowed. And so if the defense can stay similar, so let's say a top 25 defense and the offense can jump into the top 10, there were only four teams that did that last year. There was Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state and UCF and UCF didn't really play a huge, you know, not exactly a murderer's row. So three big boys, three, three teams that we all consider at least championship worthy. Obviously Alabama lost to uh, lost to LSU along the way, but three of the teams that are championship worthy sort of fit that profile. So Florida sitting there sort of, you know, 25th, on offense 25th on defense 
if they can take a step into the top 10 in one or the other, then they're going to be right up there with one of the big guys. Now, obviously they have to take that step up, but um, there's a reason why Florida's gone 11 and or why Florida went 11 and two last year. Um, that was a very good team. I don't know that it was an elite team on either side of the ball. I think it was very good on both sides of the ball. The question is, does this recruiting class or does the 29 class, 2019 class, or do a couple of players, a couple of these transfers come in and convert the team in on one side of the ball or the other from very good to elite? There is the possibility to do that. And in fact, if they can get waivers for the guys who have transferred in. And then you've got Zach Evans sort of sitting on the background who's got an official visit, I think, coming up at like March 20th. Yep. All of a sudden, they've gone from having one five-star last year to having having five or six on the roster coming into this year, depending upon, again, how they uh, – you know, the waivers that they're able to get and whether they can get guys on the field. And there weren't a whole lot of teams last year that had more than five five-star guys when you start looking at it. I think Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia – USC, LSU, and Clemson are the only teams that had more than five five-stars. So Florida's starting to get into that talent profile. If you believe that Mullen does more with less, I understand why you'd start thinking that Florida's just on the cusp. Um, you know, we talked earlier, and I wrote an article maybe a month or two ago about 2020 really being the year that Florida has to make the run because there's some there's some turnover at Georgia. I don't necessarily think Jamie Newman's going to be the solution at quarterback. I don't think Carson Beck is going to be the solution at quarterback, especially not as a true freshman. And Florida's got a quarterback coming back who's proven that he can win games and win games and play well on the road in the SEC and and uh, you know big bowl games and all that sort of stuff. So I think there's a lot of a lot of reasons to believe that Florida has the right players in the right position to take a step forward. Like I said, the biggest thing, the biggest worry to me this offseason is is that defensive line. That's the place where there's just a lot of question marks. And, you know, if your defensive line struggles, then your defense struggles. And if the defense takes a significant step back, it's not really going to matter what the offense does. Top 10 offense, top 50 defense in your Oklahoma. But unfortunately, being Oklahoma in the SEC uh, <laughs> means you're second in the East. Yeah, yeah. We, we seem to, we seem to play out that way. Um, but yeah, there you go. And that's why, you know, both those uh, articles there uh, really pinpointed uh, the defensive line and make sure to point out the 2020 signees in that position group uh, as, you know, a, a reason Florida can make a college football playoff push. So uh, Gator fans, if you miss it over the weekend, a pretty cool thing the University of Florida is doing and a YouTube series there. So this is the Swamp, episode one titled Earn It, uh, was released on Saturday. So Will and I are just going to give a quick highlight of the newly released YouTube series on the Gators football YouTube account. I don't really want to ruin a lot of it for you guys if you haven't watched it yet, but uh, we'll discuss a bit of it here. You know, maybe it will push you to go watch a lot, a lot of good stuff there. Uh, you know, I'm in that kind of TV world, uh, the, the, the bill-paying job, Will, as I like to call it. Uh, it's kind of a lot of the work I do there, you know, filming commercials, filming documentaries, filming uh, you know, footage, especially around college football or high school football season. We get to do a lot of that at a TV station. So the creative side of that uh, piqued my interest as well. So it, it, it starts off with uh, Nick Savage driving to the stadium at 4.30 in the morning, describing a typical morning routine this time of year in the offseason. You know, getting to the office, going over a workout plan with the, the strength and conditioning staff, and then you know taking all that into a 7 a.m. workout session. Uh, Trey Dean breaks the team in the huddle, and it's on from there. Uh, well, man, this just it really enforces just how important a, a strength and conditioning program is, and how important a strength and conditioning coach like Nick Savage is. He's around this team so much when Dan Mullen can't be. Uh, we saw and heard just how 
bad this program was in the Jim McElroy in the strength and conditioning program. And look, it's been completely transformed under Nick Savage and Dan Mullen. And the first half of this special that Florida released really shows that. Yeah, I mean, nobody on that team is going to Gainesville Health and Fitness or Planet Fitness to go lift <laughs> extra weights after this is over. That's for sure. And the guys certainly look like it too when you see them on when you see them on the uh, on the YouTube uh, YouTube video. It looks like those guys are are getting the strength and conditioning that you would expect to get from a top ten program. And and you know, one of the things that Savage says early on in the in in the in the documentary is you know you don't just go hard, you go hard right. I think is the mm. uh, is the quote that he did, and I love it, right? That that they're going to make sure these guys are doing things the right way. They're going to make sure that they're doing, um, doing the right reps, but that the reps have a purpose and that every rep matters. And and even to that to that effect, they have a segment where they bring in people to teach the players about life skills. Yep. And you know, one of the things that was a criticism under McElwain was was the credit card scandal and the frying pan. And I think the frying pan was after. Uh, was after McElwain left, but certainly it was with guys he'd brought in. And you know, you get those sort of instance. We haven't had a whole lot of that with the guys that Mullins brought in. I and mean, we had a few dismissals and some things that have gone on. But you know, you, you do feel like the um do feel like there's been a little bit more focus within the program over the last year or so. And and I suspect that this has something to do with it. And the the closeness and the accountability that the strength and conditioning program brings is a big part of that. Yeah, well what you uh were um referencing to was uh, after the workout session, it transitioned to this Gator Life uh, segment, and that's headed up by former Gator Vernell Brown, uh, who's on the staff doing this. And Brown brings in uh, speaker C.L. Shepard uh, to talk to the team. And a couple points there uh, I really like from Kyrie Campbell and, and Marco Wilson. Uh, Kyrie Campbell, he really just speaks about being a leader. And look, Florida lost a defensive leader last year in, in David Reese. They're going to be looking for somebody to kind of take up that mantle coming this kind of year. And Kyrie Campbell, even before this, was somebody I was really pinpointing as maybe being that guy. And there he is on this documentary talking about the importance of being a leader and all that. Look, I, I know some of this is lip service. Uh, of course, every program's kind of going through this. Uh, a lot of guys are going to be saying the same thing. But I think we've seen enough from where this program has taken shape, as you said, Will, um, going from the credit card scandal, going from um, a workout program that was really a disservice to the university and, and the players before, it's not so much lip service in Florida when you've seen where they've come from. <laughs> That's kind of how, how I put it there. But also Marco Wilson's there uh, saying you know, how they relate to this motivational speaker. Uh, you know, be comfortable with the uncomfortable uh, and make you know, make playing football the least stressful aspect of life. You think that's really what it should be. These guys are in college. You know, football should be easy for them. Uh, it, it, the work you put in should be hard, but once you get on Saturdays in the fall, uh, that's when you should be able to reap the rewards. Uh, but you know, as long as you're doing everything right along the way. Yeah, well, hopefully one of the guys who comes in and, and talks about life skills teaches them to stay off of Twitter during the season because that, <laughs> that's how you keep yourself stress-free if you're playing football at a major university is just stay away from stay away from that during presidential debates and uh, and, and the football season and you'll be just fine. But Yeah, they don't need to see what I'm saying on Twitter. By any <laughs> <laughs> well, you're usually pretty kind unless, you know, when people are stealing info. But other than that, uh, you know, it, it's it, it's really just sort of uh, – it, it's nice to see that the program is putting an emphasis on making sure that these guys have life skills. You know, one thing uh, – I'm sure that – it said part one in the YouTube clip, so I'm sure that there's going to be more of these coming. It, it'll be interesting to see whether it's sort of giving us 
a day-to-day look or whether they're giving us a new look at the different kinds of things that they're doing. Because mm-hmm. to me, the life skills part of it is something that's that's really interesting to me, understanding exactly what they're teaching the players. I know maybe under Will Muschamp, they had people come in and were talking about relationships, domestic violence, sexual violence, those sorts of things, um, keeping yourself in the right situations and, and understanding, you know, the nuances that go on within, within relationships. And, and, you know, I, I think that stopped under Jim McElwain and it, it, I'm interested to know whether that's whether that's been re uh, reinvigorated under Brown heading up the program and, and really trying to bring these guys life skills, not necessarily just football skills. And one more aspect, Will, before, you know, uh, I really liked about this and when they were wrapping up, they uh, have a leadership committee and, and the players vote on, and draft uh, their uh, their workout team. You know, workouts are a competition. Uh, look, this was something Urban Meyer kind of did. You know, the losers go eat hot dogs and all that kind of stuff, and the winners go eat steak and all that. You know, you draft a team uh, there, so everybody just kind of relied on, on each other. Uh, you know, don't and so some of the quotes here: "Don't fold in these drills or or fold in the game," as these guys are, uh, you know, tug of, tug of war with each other. Uh, play, you know. Tug of war. We've seen that, seen the videos of that drill time and time again. But you know, don't let go of the rope, and that's kind of just a uh, a moniker that they they take throughout them. They take with them throughout the season. When the times get tough on the field, uh, you know, don't let go of that rope. So uh, you know the, that kind of transition is to to mat drills and what Kyrie Campbell describes as a mental breakdown. Uh, that's what they're trying to do uh, to you with those drills. But then uh, one thing that you know Dan Mullen said that caught my cut that caught my ear here was the harder it gets, the harder I go. Uh, good there, but you know it was good to see that the coaching staff is around these team around the team as well at 5 a.m. in the morning. It's not just Nick Savage, not just the strength and conditioning coach and the players. It's the whole coaching staff. Uh, it's Dan Mullen, it's Todd Grantham, it's Greg Knox, it's Billy Gonzalez. They're all out there, uh, you know, taking part uh, in doing this. And just to end it, will uh, that one of the last quotes Dan Mullen uh, had, you know, it's not easy to be great. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I love the competition. I love the fact that they were they were dividing people up and 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 pinning pitting them against each other to see who would who would come out ahead in those strength and conditioning drills. You know, the one thing that jumped to mind was I wonder who's got the punter. Um, <laughs> and I started thinking, you know, Tommy Townsend's a little bit of yeah. a, a little bit of a renegade. He he might have been a a dark horse to help a team. I wonder whether Jeremy Crawshaw is, is stepping into uh, to his shoes and is just as wild, especially you know. So some of those Australian guys have some interesting backgrounds. So, um, yeah, th- there's some skill in figuring out, do you get the kicker? Do you get the punter? Um, you know, do you get the freshman? Do you, do you find the grizzled old veteran who's done this for four years now? I, um, I, I'd be really interested in understanding how they pick those teams, the dynamics and, uh, and, uh, I, I'm imagining there's some trash talk going on when, when one of those teams wins the competition. Yeah, uh, to, to end it, Will, I think but Brett Hagee said it said it best here. Uh, here he goes. They're going to focus on the little things uh, to get more than ten wins, to, then then and get more than eleven wins, and that's that's where this program's at right now. You know, thankfully that's where this program's at right now. Uh, we get to see this. We get to see the aspects of the, of this in the team, and we get to see you know what. Those are little things to the to, I think the fan side of things, but I think we know the importance that it plays. Uh, once this team takes the field on Saturdays in the fall, uh, but this is one of those little things. Everybody looks forward to game day. Everybody looks forward to uh, you know fall camp and, and leading up to every Saturday. But this is the little things that will add up. If Florida's going to make that college football playoff push that we just talked about here, you know, it's going to be what they're putting in through you know January leading up to spring practice and then leading into fall camp. So it's that little thing. 
Yeah, well, I mean, this is the stuff that no, not everybody's willing to do, right? And yeah. and I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, when we watched the Georgia game and, and even the LSU game, I, I think we knew it would be an upset if Florida pulled it off, pulled it out this past year. Um, you know, against LSU, it really felt like they could, especially when it was tied, I think, at, at 28. Or, or when LSU was up 35-28 and trashed the interception in the end zone. You know, you felt like Florida might be able to pull it off against Georgia. Um, you know, even though it was only a seven-point spread, it really felt a little bit, wider than that in that particular game. And and so I don't think that's going to be the feeling in 2020. I think these guys are sort of preparing for, you know, they may not be able to beat LSU in Georgia this year, at least not both of them, but I don't think it's going to be an upset if they do. And I think last year it was an upset this year. I don't think it will be. And so that means that the program's making progress. And especially when you factor in the, um, the softness of the schedule in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only going to be two teams they got to beat. They got, they're going to have two team, two games that are circled on the calendar in terms of the ones they got to show up for and the ones they got to go go after. And and hopefully the strength and conditioning program has the Georgia and LSU games just sort of running mm-hmm. on a loop there in the uh, in the weight room to remind these guys why they're putting in all the hard work. Yep, realism. Just yeah, like you said, just how close uh, they were last year and, and translating it uh, to. to to the 2020 season. So uh, that was This Is The Swamp, episode one on uh, Earn It is the title there on uh, YouTube. So, Will, we're going to wrap it up. You kind of teased uh, uh, a little bit what we're going to wrap up. Just a recruit, quick recruiting update before we uh, sign off here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. 2021 four-star tight end Gage Wilcox will commit, uh, make his commitment on Friday, Six foot four, 228 pounds, as he will be revealing his commitment on Friday. Uh, February 28th, 6 p.m. He says he will make his announcement through social media between Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. So the Gators battling the nation's elite here uh, for Gage Wilcox. Florida looks to be in really, really good shape here, especially with Tim Brewster as tight ends coach and leading the charge. Uh, Florida has long thought to be the choice here before Brewster, uh, but now, uh, you know, hopefully uh, that, you know, pretty much seals the deal. We'll, uh, Wait till Friday. We'll let it play out till then. The 249th ranked player in the country, the number 11 tight end in the country from Tampa, mentions he loves the way Florida used the tight end position last year with Kyle Pitts, could see himself in that mode, moving the tight end around, flexing out to catch passes in space, going up to get jump balls, something that really intrigues him, Will. Yeah, well, I think anybody who watches how Florida <laughs> Kyle Pitts would say, "Oh, that sounds great." I mean, yeah, that's not. It should. That should not be a hard sell. <laughs> well, the, the, the difference is, is that Kyle Pitts is uh, is a freak athlete, and certainly this this kid is uh, is is good. But he's gonna have to prove himself to be as good as as good as Kyle Pitts has been. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Florida's brought in Brewster. He's obviously brought an awful lot of energy to the program, um, not just at the tight end position, but you know, you you understand why why he's considered a good recruiter when you listen to him talk. You understand why, um, you know, that Stadium of Gale interview that he did, you know, from everything I've heard, he, he was just really engaging there. So, um, you know, I, I think the reality is, is that Florida's going to have their pick of tight ends, and hopefully this is the start of it because you get a guy like Brewster in there who can really sell the program, not just for tight ends, but all over the field. But especially you figure at that position, Florida's going to be going to be successful, and we'll see if it's the, if it's the case with, uh, with Wilcox. Yep, so Gator fans, be uh, on social media, 6 p.m. Friday, looking out uh, for Wilcox's commitment there, as I said, between Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. So it would really be an, uh, a feather in Mullen and Brewster's cap there, uh, being able to pull one from uh, those SEC rivals. Uh, Will, 
a story that won't end until uh, he's on campus somewhere. Uh, Zach Evans, as you mentioned earlier, visiting the weekend of March 20th. Gators in great shape here as well for the nation's top running back. This is going back to the 2020 class we talked earlier about. This didn't even factor in a player like Zach Evans. So he had a five-star to what Tom Luganville and Barton Simmons was talking about and, and Florida making that push. Well, this would be one more piece, I think, uh, getting Florida closer there. Crazy recruitment so far. I'm not sure uh, there's many twists and turns left here, but uh, remember he signed a letter of intent to Georgia, so he can't sign another. He will just enroll at his school of choice in May. Uh, I think what to look out for here, Will, is if he takes that March 20th visit, does he commit uh, soon after that? Um, now he may commit, and if he does, um, look, we still have to look until he enrolls to at his school of choice in May. Uh, he'll have to sign financial aid papers uh, and be in class in May for, for, for the summer classes. So, look, March 20th, he can visit. Uh, that weekend, that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday after, he could come out with some kind of announcement that he's going to commit to Florida. But we still have to, you know, it, it'd still be worth watching either way until he is uh, <laughs> enrolled in classes in May, uh, given the history of this recruitment. But like I said, I don't see many twists and turns uh, left in this one. Yeah, well, this is another one where when uh, Mr. Brewster got hired and brought in, things started to seem to trend Florida's way, um, which obviously is one of the reasons why Dan Mullen went out and got him when he had the opportunity to to replace his tight replace his tight ends coach. Certainly, somebody who was who was an elite recruiter was one of the things that he was looking for, and it looks like from the early returns that that's that's what they're getting. But you know, the, the reality is is that Florida needs to add difference makers on offense. They need guys who you know Xavier Henderson is part of that, uh, bringing in a guy like Copeland a couple of years ago is part of that, making sure you free up Tony is part of that. But you know, if you get an opportunity to bring in a top fifteen running back. Um, you know, that's obviously somebody you want to add. That's somebody who is a high quality player in terms of their ability to take the ball to the house. And and Florida's offense, it's been a while since Florida's had a guy who every time he touched the ball was electric. And I'm not saying Evans is like is, is gonna be that in college, but what I'm saying is is that typically guys who guys who rank in this area of the 24 seven recruiting rankings tend to be players who have an opportunity to be that kind of player. And so the more of those guys you line up, the better chance you have that you get somebody who's truly special. So guys like Percy Harvin, Peter Warwick, um, you know, those guys tend to be in this sort of five-star mold and Evans is one of those. And he's a chance that, um, you know, that's a chance that Florida can find a true difference maker on offense. So it's great that he's considering the Gators and obviously we'll see what happens from here. All right, continue 2020 before we go. Uh, of course, Gators lost a commit uh, last week. Mark Britt committed to Ole Miss last week. No big surprise there. Waiting on test scores. He wanted to go ahead and commit. Florida wanted him to wait till April. Uh, and, you know, Ole Miss uh, uh, gets Mark Britt uh, there from the state of Florida. And so, you know, we'll see. Wait and see. Also, Leonard Manuel, that's still going to wait. We'll still have to wait till April on that one. Hopefully uh, everything comes back A-OK and Leonard Manuel ends up in this Gators class. But Ole Miss might be the one to watch out there for, um, for Manuel as well, um, if the, you know, to, the proper test scores uh, don't, don't come back uh, there, Will. So it uh, took a hit uh, last week. It didn't really drop far into recruiting rankings at all, uh, losing Britt to Ole Miss. But uh, you can add Evans. I don't think it jumps Florida much either. I think they would still stay at eighth, but still getting a, a big-time playmaker. But uh, – Losing Britt, have to watch out for Manuel, and hopefully Evans is in the fold. 
Yeah, I think I think Evans will actually jump into seven. I think they will jump okay. on her if right. they bring Evans in. I don't think losing Britt or Manuel moves them too much. The reality is that once you get to 23, 24 guys, the the only yeah. guys who make an impact in terms of being able to jump up and down are typically top 100 recruits, um, which is why Avante Williams was somebody that we wanted yeah. at, at National Signing Day because he would have made a difference and pushed him up over Auburn there too. But, um, you know, I, I try not to get too caught up in one particular recruit. I, I think the evidence shows that guys who are five-star guys are guys who end up in the NFL a whole lot more often. I mean, top 15 guys, I think, I look back, I think it was like 2014, 2015, or maybe it was 2012 and 2013. I can't remember the years, but look back at the five-star recruits and they were drafted like 80% of the time. And then you went from like 15 to 30 and those guys were recruited like, or were drafted like 40%. And then it was basically 20%, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30% all the way out to, to 300. So that's really where the development starts to take place. And that's where Mullen has excelled both in the last couple of years at Florida, but in his time in, at Mississippi State as well. But if you can bring in some of those high-level guys, it, it, it's less to me than about the overall recruiting ranking. I still think the overall ranking is important, but the high-level guys that you bring in make a huge difference in terms of the success of your class. And you know, if you've got six five-star guys and four of them turn out, you're going to have four really good players. If you've got one five-star guy, then obviously you have to have the one guy be be a real monster in order to make hay from, from that particular segment of your recruiting class. So, yeah, I mean, I think Evans is a big deal, but I don't think it's a deal breaker. I don't think it's a it's a huge black mark on the program if he doesn't come. And the same thing with Britt and Manuel. I think those are quality players that you'd love to have for depth and for special teams, and, and potentially one of them might turn into a star because, you know, Oftentimes, three- and four-star guys, low four-star guys, and three-star guys do turn into stars. But um, I don't know that you can count on that, and so it's not something where I'm, I'm stressing out. All right. Well, what you got uh, recently um, released, uh, still looking back at, at Gators football but on, on Read Reaction. So uh, what's that been like, and what's coming up on Read Reaction? Yeah, so Nick Nudson, one of our uh, – one of our writers has been looking back at the 1979 season. So the depressing part of the uh, Charlie Pell era is now mm-hmm. over. So, so he's going to be breaking into more of the success that Pell had in, in the next couple of weeks and bringing out those. And then, um, you know, that, it, you mentioned your real job. My real job has also been uh, <laughs> has also been getting in the way a little bit and during the off season. It's a little bit less stressful. So I don't necessarily put something out every week, but I'm working on some stuff that's going to be looking at, um, at Trask versus Emory, and then I've also got something in the works where I'm looking at um, different aspects of of recruiting and sort of how that correlates to coaches' success and how you can rank coaches. So um, those will be coming up in the next couple of weeks, and hopefully people enjoy that. All right. Coming up here on Gators Breakdown, Will and I discussed it. So the next couple of weeks, we'll uh, we'll start kind of our spring preview. So on you know, this Gators Breakdown episode, I will release late Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, sometime on Wednesday on Twitter, I will put it out there. We're gonna we're gonna do, kind of do do it different this year. We do a Q and A style. So next week podcast, we'll do Q and A spring offense. We'll just talk. Uh, you know, we'll get your questions of guys what you want to know about the offense. Uh, get our thoughts on that, and then the next week we'll do the defense. Uh, so no recruiting. You know, basically just straight uh, spring football preview, straight football talk uh, for the next couple of weeks. We want to get your questions. So like I said, on Wednesday I'll put it out there. You'll send questions. If you want, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, if you want to put them in the comment section, I'll try and whip back around and, and catch some of the questions there. I know I have a couple saved uh, from a listener who sent to us a couple weeks ago. Uh, kind of gave me the thought that we would do spring preview a little different there, uh, 
and trying to uh, get our uh, get our listeners' thoughts and questions. Will uh, I think uh, it should be a a fun way to, uh, to break down and, and preview spring coming up. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, one of the things you've always prided on, I, I think, is one of the things we really want to be is is somebody who's interacting with the audience, and and this gives an opportunity to do that. So certainly send your send your questions in, and uh, you know, ask us some difficult questions. We'll try to back it up with some statistics, but throw a little bit of opinion in there, have a little bit of fun. And the good news is, is that you know that we're we're wrong about fifty percent of the time. So whenever we're critical, just assume that's when uh, that's when we'll be wrong. Yeah, that's one reason I wanted to get the questions out a little early because everybody knows how Will and I like to look up some some numbers, some metrics if we can. So if we get some of the questions early enough, we will research as much as we can uh, going into uh, the episodes in the next couple of weeks. So send them to Will or, or myself. Um, uh, you can send them to Will at Will Miles SEC or my Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. But as I said, I'll share uh, uh, the, uh, the post on Twitter uh, as well. Will, anything else, man? Nah, man, just appreciate everybody supporting us, appreciate the feedback, and uh, look forward to answering questions over the next couple of weeks. All right, that's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.